science fiction and fantasy writer. I write both kinds here in Washington, D.C. in my spooky turret up here, which is actually filled with comic books now. So I'm just to, a bit to the side from the turret. The first episode of the Tom Doyle series is episode 128. You'll find all of those shows in the show archive. Let's continue on with this series on psychological space opera. This character has a, uh, well, I'm going to say a condition maybe. Yeah, borderline personality disorder is a very real condition affecting a lot of people out there. and It has a wide variety of symptoms and it's seldom, there are two things about it that are change it seldom as severe on the emotional amnesia component as I'm making in the book. So it's been amplified. And it's also, in women at least, seldom associated with the psychopathy or, uh, you know, uh, being sociopathic or psychopathic uh, sort of violence levels. It is, uh, there are men who are, which tends to be diagnosed less, but some of the men with borderline personality disorder would tend more to have uh, the potential for violence in, her con- in that condition. But uh, Eris has, that is part of Eris's package, that she is uh, very uh, comfortable with violence. Yeah, yeah, it's clear from page, uh, page one or two. Within page one, you're like going, wow, this is an interesting character. And, uh, and it's kind of the character you want to keep reading because you're not sure what's going to happen. Do you, what would you call this genre? Is this a sci-fi, soft sci-fi kind of thing or... I would call it uh, space op- psychological space opera. Oh, wow. All right. Now, the science fictional elements are mostly hard SF. You know, there's nano, there's this and that going on. There is, I mean, it has faster than light travel, so it's not mundane hard SF. But in general, it's the science you'd find in any analog story and any hard SF story. But the, uh, it, it, it is soft SF in terms of it is concerned with the psychology of the characters, which tends to be more of a feature of that. And some people call it cyberpunk for the general ambiance of uh, that, you know, you do have sort of these noirish um, class um, yeah. warfare and other sorts of issues underlying it. The politics, in fact, I updated with the, my final rewrite was in 2016, 2017. And it had been written, the first story was there at Clarion. And I don't know if you... I remember this story, Tom, when I was reading this book, I go, oh, this is familiar. And I thought, I bet Tom must have wrote a short story about this character, because I remember this character uh, uh, when I started. Yes. So it stuck with me over, what is that? 
over 10 years. Is that 20 years? I'm not sure. 17 years. <laughs> so yeah, I remember it. As soon as I, yes, I got it. And I think I remember some of those sentences actually. So yeah. Yeah. No, now I switched it to a first person present narrative. And that's after doing a whole nar- whole novel manuscript in oh, uh, third person past. Yes. I switched all that both to reopen the manuscript and bring it up to my current writing standards, but also it was more appropriate to the character who lives very much in a first person present. She, That's true. you know, and that makes it uh, much more immediate as, and much more true to her and her narrative. Let me add a little bit more to that. And because you did that, it's like, you're, it's very clear her worldview and her worldview is really different. <laughs> so, so you, cause you're in her head, it's very clear the different kind of person you're dealing with here. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And you know, that was, that was pretty evident before, but she, in, as far as the novel drafts go, the novel stage, but it had the remove of kind of being a snarky narrator telling her story instead of being in her own snarky but veering wildly narrative. So, uh, yeah, so I I don't know if you remember with the original short story, that was uh, the first week that uh, Jim Kelly and Maureen McHugh were our instructors. And Jim Kelly was making a big deal about how he was going to impose the blue line of death on our stories right. and uh, draw that and making me very scared because I had wrote, you know, kind of finalized the writing of this during week four of Clarion when everyone's kind of on the meltdownish point, you know, so it's <laughs> pretty intense. Yeah. And I was just kind of going, okay, you mofos, I'm going to show you something. <laughs> and I write this thing and then he's saying all this and I am concerned and then he gets up there and he's you know it goes around the circle and then he's you know holding the manuscript pages and he says there's no blue line of death here (laughs) this is you know very close and then he like quotes uh parts of it and he goes i have some changes don't screw it up (laughs) i think you really like the story yeah yeah. yeah. So, he, and and that's why I dedicated the book to him because he's been a supporter oh, wow. of this. I noticed since. that, and I didn't know that until. Okay, I see. Uh, and by the way, for the audience's knowledge, the blue line of death is is basically where a critiquer says, "I've read one, two, three, many pages, or maybe very few pages, and now this blue line is where I've stopped reading because I just don't want to read it anymore." So it's kind of like where the reader gets is rejecting the story, and so Jim, yeah, if Jim was saying basically, if you get the more pages you can get before you get to the blue line, well, that kind of shows your, your craft is, uh, you have a good handle of your craft. But Tom got all the way through the whole story. I don't know if anybody else did that <laughs> and uh, didn't get a blue line of death. So, yeah, great. No, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was really a boost, and it did end up being my first pro sale. The, the critiquer playing at being editor for one of the mags you're going to be submitting to and yeah. you know, trying to get in that sort of head. I'm doing that. But anyway, I went... Uh, this book, after doing those revisions in 2017 and finishing them, it was clear this book had a definite, you know, science fiction has a shelf life anyway, that you, you know, there's nothing that ages worse than a vision of the future. (laughs) And I had updated the politics to be of the moment as well. Uh And so all that made me want to get this book out there somehow with a publisher by this year. 
And that is able to make that happen with uh, Eric Flint's Ring of Fire Press. So uh, after, you know, and, and, and that made sense. You know, the, it was uh, a tough year to be selling to the majors and such, but I did uh-huh. not want this to get stale. It was going to, so, uh, so they loved it. And, uh, Walt boys at the, at rain of fire loved it. And I go, yeah, that's great. Let's, let's get this out there. while while the getting's good. All right. So, so Tom, why are you uniquely qualified to write this kind of story? think I have, despite growing up being probably, you know, not on the spectrum, as they say, but a late bloomer as far as developing a sense of emotional connection and such, I think I have a relatively strong sense of empathy for psychologically extreme states. I am able to do, there's a quote from Terence, the the Roman playwright that I often quote, which is, I am human and nothing human is strange to me. Wow. Okay. And that is why I think I am able to both um, get into a protagonist's head in this way and yet also be able to counterpoint that to kind of a more... uh, mainstream perception of reality so that a reader can join me there instead of wondering the whole time, you know, what is going on here, you know, and such, or, or, or perhaps not seeing how the external of that mindset looks to someone who isn't in that mindset. So it's a combination of empathy and yet also a, a sense of what uh, the uh, the objective, at least in mainstream perception, would look like. I think that's the qualification. Yeah. Whether that's true, people, others will be the judge. But that's the story I'm telling myself sure, sure. about what I'm doing. I want to add to that. So you're a very rational person, and I think in an emotional context, when when you enter, when you encounter something that's heavily emotional, I think you would be the right person to like parse it out and come up with the rationale about why that person's reacting in that way. Because I think you probably have a more of a systems thinking viewpoint, and it's probably from your training as a lawyer. You can take a, an extremely emotional uh, people upset, but you 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 could go through it procedurally and break down what's happening. You know, what are the arguments? for and against and all that 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 is what makes uh, the uh, lawyers and doctors both have to have that capability you know as far as what's called a profession in our culture part of being a professional is having as uh, the ability to emotionally step back and observe instead of being reactive in a context like that but there is also the aspect of i feel that I understand in my bones something about people who, across a wide variety of psychological states, are in a decentered condition. Something, and this is something that Hollywood doesn't get. Hollywood's versions of extreme psychological states are that there's always someone at the core who is still centered, who is still this rational voice that if you could just talk to them nicely... If you could just, you know, 
be nice to them and talk to them nicely, you would get to the Hollywood happy ending. <laughs> and the real world, that's not the way people's brains work. You know, even so-called, you know, normal brain, the so-called mainstream brain, doesn't really work that way as much as we think it does. And you enter one of these extreme states, and it's, it's so decentering that uh, it's the thing that people don't understand about depression. They don't understand about certain forms of hallucinogenic drug use. They don't understand how decentered a, a mind can be. And there's some, for some reason, I have really internalized that. And, and in a way, and that's what I try to bring out in these stories, that someone can be completely meta-aware, yeah. in fact, yeah, yeah. that they are in that state, that they, right. I am in a decentered state now. I am in the state, and yet that doesn't mean they can, in fact, do anything about it, that they can just, you know, snap their fingers and change that state. No. And that, that's definitely the character of Eris. She is completely aware of her diagnoses, of how others may be perceiving her actions. She, she knows all these things. It doesn't, at least for most of the book, help. <laughs> it takes a lot of things to happen to change, even make a kind of marginal encroachment on that for her. If you enjoy listening to Sci-Fi Thoughts, but find it difficult to remember to check the website for new shows, get this technology from the future. Install into your phone a podcast player. Using this, you can subscribe to our podcast feed. And next thing you know, you'll be cruising around in your car with your phone plugged in playing sci-fi thoughts, or you'll be out there jogging, or you'll be doing whatever you want to do. And have your ears plugged into some cool science fiction programming. You can find instructions on lancerkind.com. So check out the show notes. The show notes are will show right up there in your podcast player. And you can just tap on links that are set up so you can go to Tom Doyle's Border Crosser and order copies of that. Or you can see some of his free short stories and audio, including a small press award winner called The Wizard of Makatawa. And even if you don't have a podcast player, you just need to go back to the website where you found this podcast, and there you'll see the show note text on that web page. Next episode, more Tom Doyle. This book, it has a lot of different uh, folks in it. It has some of the Jerry Cornelius vibe from Michael Moorcock back in the day. It has some of the... Philip K. Dick identity issues about memory, only in this case it's not the memory of facts, it's the memory of emotions 